And as we come to Deuteronomy chapter 4, we are reminded yet again that this is that last sermon from the great leader Moses, the mediator between God and the nation of Israel, the, the one who was there to receive the covenant from God on behalf of the people there at Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments. And as we get into Deuteronomy, that phrase means the second law, but it really is the expounding of God's law that God gave to Moses. So here now, 40 years of since their departure from Egypt, delivered by the Lord to become a nation there in the wilderness. Everyone over 20 perished because of unbelief, but everyone under 20 essentially is still around, and now they have their opportunity, and they're on the cusp of the promised land that God's going to give them. The battle's in front of them, but the battle is the Lord's, and they're on the east side of the Jordan River, modern Jordan, the modern country of Jordan. Moses is given this final sermon. In these first few chapters, we saw he's reviewing their history of the wilderness wandering. He's reminding them everything that God did for them. But as we get to chapter 4, now he's kind of really setting it up for what the rest of the book is going to be about. It's going to be about obeying God's law. It's going to be about hearing God's word and obeying God's word. So we begin to get a shift from a historical record to sort of like the introduction now to teaching of the law as it applies to a future generation, not properly received and applied by the previous one, but now it's their opportunity, even as every generation has their opportunity with the gospel of Jesus Christ what we choose to do with Jesus generation after generation after generation. And so we pick it up in chapter 4, where after recounting their, uh, their journey to get to this point, he says, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God, your fathers, which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. For the Lord your God had destroyed from among you all the men who followed Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess Therefore, be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding. In the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that is God so near to it, as the Lord our God is to us? For whatever reason we may call upon him. And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law which I set before you this day? Only take heed to yourselves and diligently keep yourselves lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. And teach them to your children and your grandchildren, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when the Lord said, Gather the people to me, and I will let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children. Then you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire in the midst of heaven with dark clouds and thick darkness. And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire, and you heard the sounds of the words, but saw no form. You only heard a voice. So he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, the Ten Commandments, and he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might observe them in the land which you cross over to possess. This is the first segment of chapter 4 tonight, and this really can be summarized over all these first 14 verses is this exhortation to obedience that the entire book is going to become an exhortation to obeying God's word as they understood it in the revelation of their covenant with God and we often think with the law of God that because we can't be saved by it we do tend to discount it 
But we need to remember that even under the Mosaic Covenant, as all the previous covenants, it was always faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And no one has ever been justified by self-righteousness before the Lord. Not Adam, not Noah, not Abraham, and not Moses and the children of Israel, and subsequent people that came in the, the generations until the time Christ came. People have always, humanity has always been justified by faith, always before the Lord. So we want to keep that in mind as we're studying the law of God, because the New Testament tells us that the law of God is our tutor to bring us to Christ, and we understand that. And we know by the works of the law, by trying to fulfill God's law perfectly, as it's going to be described to us in Deuteronomy, that we fall short. But there are people who think they're saving themselves by being really good people, so they really think that they, are, they, that they fulfill this perfectly, that they have no sin, and that they actually are a perfect human being, and they're going to trust on the day of Christ Jesus, they're going to stand before the Lord and be justified because they are self-righteous and think they've done that. That's called the works of the law. But that will never be accepted before the Lord. For we know, as it says in Galatians, by the works of the law, no flesh, no human being is justified before God. For if we could be justified by the law, in other words, declared righteous to stand before God, then Christ didn't need to come. This is what Galatians teaches us in the New Testament. Christ did come because we can't be saved by the law. But nonetheless, the law is good and true and just and holy. The New Testament affirms that as well. And as we think about the law, and as even Moses is really introducing the law to us here in this chapter, in these opening 14 verses, we need to know and, and remember that Jesus came to fulfill the law, that he obeyed the law. And everything, you know, Jack had that beautiful prayer about Jesus, just that like we would just see his beauty and everything. And the beauty of Jesus, think about this, the beauty of Jesus is that he did fulfill the law. The beauty of Jesus is that he is the perfect righteous man. He's the son of man and the son of God. And what makes Jesus so beautiful is he is the perfect man. And he did fulfill the law. And he was righteous. And in him was found no iniquity or sin. So when we think about the, the law, we often think, oh, the law is like Mount Sinai. It's a fire. And it's a voice that you can't see. And it's a dark cloud. And it condemns us. And we, we need to stay away from the law because the law is our tutor that sends us to Christ. And if you read Pilgrim's Progress, you know that the, you know, Pilgrim's Progress, Pilgrim goes to the law, to the mountain to justify himself. And he's humbled by Mount Sinai in that famous book by John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress. But we need to understand the law is good. The law is a good thing because it's God's revelation. And if a man could keep the law, if a woman could keep the law, she'd be the perfect woman and he'd be the perfect man. If we think about God's law in a marriage, if your husband, women who are married, if your husband kept the law, he'd be the perfect husband. He'd be the perfect husband. He would not be that husband that, you know, grates on you, embarrasses you, you know, and you have to be really patient with. He wouldn't be that husband. He'd be the perfect husband. And if your wife, husbands, fulfilled the law perfectly, she would be the perfect wife. She'd be Eve, like the perfect Eve, your wife. Without sin, the perfect wife of Ephesians 5. I mean, like, wow, the perfect wife. But there are no perfect wives here, and there are no perfect husbands. But we are saved by a perfect Savior. And as we think about the beauty of the law, and that's what we want to do as we go through Deuteronomy, we don't want to go through these 30-plus chapters thinking like, wow, Mount Sinai, here we go again, Tuesday night, lock and load, Joey's going to bring us two chapters of Deuteronomy or just one chapter, and it's going to be like all the Ten Commandments, it's going to be all these things that just seem like they're so unattainable. No, because the Bible tells us that 
in our fleshly nature, we could never do the right thing. But because we're born of the Spirit, God's written his word on the tablets of our heart, not on stone tablets. So as we walk in the Spirit, we are going to move toward fulfilling, becoming more like Christ. And if we become more like Christ, we are going to reflect the beauty of the good things in God's law. Because the beauty of Christ is he fulfilled the law. He said, I didn't come to cancel the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. So in his life and actions, he fulfills the prophets and what they prophesied about the Messiah. But really in his moral character and how he treated people and how he interacted with people, he fulfills the law. He, the beauty of Christ, is the fulfillment of the law. So the law is beautiful. And everything that we love about Christ is Christ being the perfect human being, the perfect son of God, fulfilling the law of God before the Father. And that's why he's the acceptable sacrifice on the cross for us. Because God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we could be justified. And as we think about justification by faith, we realize that Jesus fulfilling and being the perfect obedient one to the Father that as he died in our place for us not being the perfect obedient human beings, he then reckons to our account his perfection. So yes, the law is our tutor to bring us to Christ. We are never going to stand before God and say, I'm getting to heaven because I'm a perfect human being. The law says, nah, Romans 3.20 says, stop talking. The Ten Commandments holds you guilty. So don't try and justify yourself. But it's not an excuse for cheap grace. Like Paul said in Romans 6, shall we sin all the more that grace would abound? No. We're in fact, we're told that if we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love our neighbor, we are fulfilling the law. God actually makes the law simpler. So instead of like 10 commandments to keep, he simply says, if you love me and you love people, you'll naturally fulfill my law. You'll do the right things as a spirit-filled person. And those Old Testament prophecies said, as I mentioned earlier, that the law is not written on stone tablets anymore. It's written on our hearts. That's what God has done. The Holy Spirit writes the law on our hearts. And so as we get into the Ten Commandments next week, we'll, we'll get more into that. But I think it's important because obedience is important. It's important to obey the Lord. It's important for me to obey the Lord. You want a pastor who obeys the Lord. And you want a wife who obeys the Lord. You want a husband who obeys the Lord. You want government officials who obey the Lord. The more we're governed by God's word, including his law, the better it is. Not for self-justification, but because it's pure and good. And it's a high moral ground of good character when it's under the power of the Holy Spirit. Because it is the teaching of the New Testament writers that God's law is lived out by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not for self-justification or added to grace, but simply a reflection of what an obedient life looks like. And that's what we want to have. We only get one life. And it's dreadfully short when you think about it. It's just so little time to fulfill those things that God wants to do. So Moses is reminding them to obey. And we go to what God said to the prophet Samuel to Saul. To obey is better than a sacrifice. We don't need churchgoers in 2021. We need people who confess Christ and obey his word. To obey is the key. And that's not always easy, but it is the... the the right thing to do. So he said, I teach you to observe that you may live. And he went back to the situation that happened at, um, at Baal Peor. That's the story of Balaam and Balak and all that. And if you recall, the men who did not sleep with the women of the Moabites, with their idols, they were not struck down. They obeyed when they were, surely they were tempted to disobey like 
20,000 plus men did, but they did not disobey. They obeyed. They made the right decision. And because they obeyed, look what Moses says here. But you held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. So their obedience brought about blessing and preservation were those who disobeyed. Their rebellion cost them their life. And it's a reminder that it's in our own best interest to hold fast to the Lord. I was with my granddaughter, Clementine, these last four or five days, as I mentioned, and we ended up there in, in Vero Beach. And holding fast is an interesting term because it has the idea like, you know, when you're holding a child's hand or you're holding, when you're a kid and you hold your parent's hand. And I was thinking about this, it's interesting because, you know, two-year-olds don't always want to hold your hand, do they? They'll, they'll push away, right? But it, it's, it's interesting because the Lord is always holding us because, you know, the Lord holds us. Our salvation is, is, he's the author and finisher of our faith. So ultimately the Lord is, is sovereign and holding us. Yet, it's important that we hold him. You know, it's a lot easier to walk with a two-year-old across a crosswalk if they're holding your hand too. See, you can hold their hand with strong grip, even they're trying to fight you. But, you know, it goes more fluid if they're holding your hand too. And your grip doesn't have to be as firm. Like they're holding your hand because they trust you and you're holding their hand. And if something happened that was threatening, you would immediately be just, you know, you'd be able to get a tight hold and move them out of the way or whatever needed to do. When I was at the beach on Sunday with Clementine, there was a really good swell in Florida this weekend. Really good surf, actually. One of the best days of the year. And Vero Beach has a shore break like Huntington Beach. It doesn't really have the outside sandbar. So you surfers, it's more of a, a shore break. And it was offshore. It was like a Santa Ana wind for them. The, their west wind is like a, it's a dry kind of Santa Ana wind. It was really clean. These barrels, shore break barrels, just like Huntington on a Santa Ana. It was really pretty and beautiful. A lot of uh, spring break families, more families than young people, kind of more families in Vero Beach. And, but I was there with Clementine and there was a surging shore break like you get at Huntington Beach in the summer. There was a lot, a lot of water moving and, and, um, I had her, you know, so I'm holding her, and, and you know, the shore break dumps, and I'm watching the surge. Of course, I never took my eyes off her, and I always had her. But, you know, she wanted a little bit of freedom, but I always kind of had her, her hand look like this, you know, like always there. And I noticed that she, when she felt safe, she was more like this, but when, when the big surge came, she kind of went to hold me too. And I thought, that's how we need to be with the Lord. I didn't have to grab her as she was being drawn away by a shore break. She naturally was clinging to me. When she felt more surge, she grabbed onto my hand. And that's the way it should be with the Lord, that we hold fast to the Lord. He's got us like Papa, Papa, Grandpa Joe. Believe me, I've got Clementine in the Florida shore break. She's not going anywhere. But it's nice that she also had me. So just this week, thinking about holding fast to the Lord, we want to hold fast to the Lord. Those that have come through the last year and have grown in their faith, they've held fast to the Lord. In all that we don't know, we fall back on what we do know, and we've held fast to the Lord. My confidence is in the Lord. Our confidence is in the Lord, and that he's got us. And there's been so much uncertainty to me. There's been so much there's been so much uncertainty and unknown around us. And now it's all kind of settling. It's like, well, this is the last year about. But in the end, if we hold fast to the Lord, we've grown. And if we didn't, we didn't. But I think most of you here tonight have learned this last year more than ever. In all the unknown, Christ is going to always be our known. 
and we hold fast to him. And when we come, we don't know, as Pastor Chuck used to say, we fall back on what we do know. And it is always good to obey the word of God. And that's what Moses is reminding him. These guys obeyed, and they were alive because they obeyed. And we're alive because we've obeyed. And there's some people we know that are not alive because they didn't obey the Lord. And it's, it's that simple. And so we want to obey the Lord and, and, and hold fast to the Lord. Also, he said in verse 6 that in observing his word, it's, it's, this is our wisdom and understanding. And doesn't the world need wisdom and understanding? And don't we need wisdom and understanding? Our understanding of truth comes from God's word. And wisdom is God's word applied properly. And he said, this is, God's word is our wisdom and understanding. If we want to be a wise woman or an understanding man or vice versa, it's going to come from carefully observing God's word. Wisdom is good decisions. And if we obey God's word, it's good decisions. And Moses is saying, this is your wisdom and understanding that you observe, be careful to observe God's word and act upon it. I've taught you the statutes and judgments. So this is your wisdom and your understanding. It's not, it's not rocket science to be a wise person in the human experience with understanding. It's simply knowing God's word and choosing volitionally with your will to obey it. And he said, not only that, but in the sight of the people who hear all the things that the statutes about what the Lord had done for Israel, they'll say, this is a great nation is a wise and understanding people. So the church looks good when the church obeys the Lord and people who confess Christ are obeying his word and reflecting his word and they have a life that reflects wisdom and understanding, good decisions, and it's a good witness. And people look at your life and say, wow, like, I mean, th- these, these young people, you know, young couples with good decisions with the Lord or older people, it's like, wow, there's, there's a lot of wisdom and understanding in their life. There's good fruit. And it's good fruit because that in a journey of 20, 30 years, there's a lot more good decisions based upon obedience than bad decisions based upon disobedience. This is our wisdom and understanding. We want to get wiser as we get older, and we want to understand more as we get older, and our understanding and wisdom is going to always come from God's word, just receiving it, obeying it, and doing it. Of course, he said right away, you shall not add to it or take away from it. So just let God be true and your man a liar. Just don't add to it, don't take away from it. Let it be. So Moses saying, like, this is it. Just obey God's word and obey it and then teach it to your children and then teach it to your children's children. That's his opening statement here. He's just, it's a whole new generation and the previous one failed. So he's telling this next generation, listen, I'm setting before you, I'm telling you right now, obey God's word and it's going to go good. You're alive because those you chose to obey back at Baal Pazor, you're alive because you chose to obey it. And you're blessed and you're alive right now because of it. And this is your wisdom and understanding for you personally and to a witness for everyone else. Your wisdom and understanding is that you take heed to the word and you obey it. Now we pick it up in verse 15. He says in verse 15, Take careful heed to yourselves, for you saw no form when the Lord spoke to you at Oreb, out of the midst of the fire, lest you act corruptly and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of any figure, the likeness of a male or a female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, or the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of any that creeps on the ground, or the likeness of any fish that is in the water beneath the earth. And take heed lest you lift your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you feel driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord your God has given to all people under the whole heaven as a heritage. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be his people, an inheritance as you are this day. 
Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me for your sake and swore that I would not cross over the Jordan and that I would not enter the good land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. But I must die in this land. I must not cross over the Jordan, but you shall cross over and possess the land. Take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of anything which the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. When you beget children and grandchildren and have grown old in the land and act corruptly and make a carved image in the form of anything and do evil in the sight of the Lord your God to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. You will not prolong your days in it, but you will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods, the works of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor smell. But, but from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you're in distress, and all these things come upon you in the latter days, when you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice, for the Lord your God is a merciful God, he will not forsake you nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers, which he swore to them. So in this second part of this chapter, we get this warning against idolatry. And no idols, of course, was the second commandment. You'll make no graven images of the Lord that's not uh, allowed. And yet we know in world religions, there's all kinds of graven images and imagery that people come up with, gods of their own mind that look like they're gods. And uh, for example, Hinduism has many gods and I, you know, one of the trophies I got in my pro career, I got a runner-up finish in a world tour event in Bali at Uluwatu, and man, the trophy's like a Hindu god. It's like they gave me a trophy that's like a Hindu god. It's like, I gave it away like 30 years ago. <laughs> it's like, I didn't want a Hindu god trophy in my house. It's like, but it's the creepiest looking thing. This is like creepy. It's, it's, it's a projected image of worship of a false god from a society, and of course, Bali is a Hindu island in a Muslim nation, and it reflects their, a god of their own concoction. And for a circonist, they gave me a trophy of their god. And I was like, oh, man, that was a World Tour event, too, man. That was a good final. The surf was really good. And I got rid of that trophy a long time ago. I, just, I wouldn't even say that. Man, this thing's bad juju, man. This is no way this thing stays in my house. And I gave away most of my trophies, and that one was easy to give away. Um, so we know that there's all kinds of Imageries that world religions come up with, and of course, there's many world religions that don't have any imagery, like uh, the monotheistic ones of Islam, Christianity, and Judaism. But uh, a lot of these world religions have all kinds of weird stuff. You know, it's always kind of it's weird. Like, just it, 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 I don't know about you, but I get a creepy feeling. Like, you know, when you go somewhere and there's like a Buddha statue staring at you in the room, it's like, what are you looking at? You know, and it's weird. You know, it's just it's 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 just a conjunction of men, what a man looked like, and and. Um, yeah, the warning about idolatry, because they would worship idolatry. And of course, there are millions, if not billions of people who actually worship the stars. And I've never been drawn to worship the stars and, and that kind of thing. But of course, a lot of people are in bondage to astrology and various things like that. I did, before I was saved, follow my horoscope, and I was in bondage to it. You know, one of the things that really set me free when I came to Christ and I knew I was saved is I wasn't superstitious anymore. I was very superstitious before I got saved, extremely superstitious. And many of you know this. I finished 13th in the world twice. And I thought it was the worst sign ever. Like, first of all, I finished 13th the first time. I was like, 
Oh, man. I'm so stoked to be in the top 20, but it kind of like rains on my parade to finish 13th because we all know 13th is a really bad number. And then the next year, I finished 13th again. I was like, oh, I'm cursed, you know. And uh, the next year, I finished 14th, and I was so happy not to be 13th, I didn't care. I was going in reverse. <laughs> but that's what superstition does. It gets you weird like that. And that's what astrology and that stuff does. It just gets you weird. And uh, God's not weird, and it wants to be weird. And he actually said about the heavens, this gets my attention, because, of course, you know, David in Psalm 8 says, when I consider the heavens and the work of your hands, what is man that you are mindful of him? And, of course, we should really look at the stars and just go like, wow, that's what they're designed to do. But we also know they serve a purpose for governing direction. And, and of course, since the dawn of creation, when man would sail the seven seas, celestial guidance is a navigation, not just on the seas, but also on land. I've mentioned this, but when my son Timothy was going to Cal State Maritime, as a maritime transportation major, he had to learn how to completely navigate, he had to learn how to do like all this math and navigation with just celestial, to understand all the celestial system, that no matter where he was at, anywhere on planet Earth in the open ocean, of course the planet being two-thirds sea, that without any it's kind of like when you fly planes. You sh- you, when you learn to fly a plane, you should learn to fly a plane without autopilot, right? You, you know how to actually fly a plane. And in his training at Cal State Maritime, he had to learn how to steer a ship no matter where in the world using all this advanced mathematics of ocean currents and, all this kind of, and, and the load of your ship and the tonnage of your craft and all that. But one thing he had to do is he had to learn to completely understand all the celestial system for navigation at sea. So if you stall in the open ocean somewhere off America, Samoa, you, you never are completely lost. You know Fiji's this way, Tahiti's that way, and if you're going backwards, Chile and Easter Island are that way. Like, you, you got to know. And God gave us the stars, and they're, they're, they're a map. They're, 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 they're a roadmap. In human history, all those explorers, you know, whenever I go to Utah, I just trip out and I think about the guys that, like, Cabrillo and all these other people, you know, that they just, they landed in, in, in California, and they marched, like, 800 miles to Utah. Right through like the Mojave Desert. Like, what were they thinking? They were these explorers and they were exploring and like, how did they do what they did? It's, if you really think about those explorers, it's amazing what they did, but they did it with celestial navigation. See, we do it by just like GPS, take 10, Palm Springs, boom. There's kind of like a little left fade there instead of going down to the Salt Sea, boom. You know, you're gonna hit, what is it, Brawley and then you're headed for Phoenix or the other way, the 40. But God gave the stars. He said they're a heritage. I point this out. Like his divine design and his universe for humanity, and humanity being the apple of his eye, he gave us a celestial system. He gave it to all humanity. All the hosts of heaven, he said, which the Lord God has given to all the peoples under whole heaven as a heritage. It goes back to Romans 1, that it says when God holds us accountable, when we look at creation, we realize there's a creator. So when we look up and see the stars, we're not supposed to worship them. We're supposed to realize that someone is greater than those stars. In fact, that someone said to Job, I know them all. Were you there when I formed the constellations? He said throughout the scriptures, I know them by name, and I hold them in the span of my hand, using imagery that maybe is literal for all I know. Maybe God's hand is bigger than the whole universe. What do we know? We'll find out when we step into eternity. But he says that, not me. That's what he says. So... Uh, it's, it's the idea like, hey, as Pastor Chuck used to say, big God, little problem, or big problem, little God. God holds the expanses in the palm of his hand. That's a terminology and a phrase that he uses to describe himself. So in that 
glory of the universe, when we look up, it's not to lead to idolatry, but it's actually a heritage from God to, to make us think about God like David did in Psalm 8. But also, it's a map to navigate planet Earth. I think it's amazing, and I think it's beautiful. He also said in verse 20 that he brought them out of the furnace. He brought them out of a furnace. You know, when, when Jesus Christ came into our life, he's really delivering us from a furnace. And he's, he's, he's bringing us out of things that weren't... Before we come to Christ, we're in bondage to sin, we're in bondage to the devil, and we're in bondage to the grave. And literally, we're brought out of a furnace. Praise the Lord, man. God is so good. But, he, but Moses says, take heed. Verse 15, take careful heed. Verse 19, take heed. And then again in verse 23, take heed. So these are just, this is going to be a constant theme in Deuteronomy. Take heed that we, we need to accept responsibility with diligence for what we're doing and to think it through and to take heed. Now, in verse 25, he comes to this phrase where he says, when you beget children and grandchildren and grow old in the land and act corruptly and make carved images, they always say we're just one generation from losing freedom, but we can also say we're just one generation from forgetting the Lord because it's exactly what happened. There in the book of Judges, we read that there arose a generation after this generation that knew not the things of the Lord, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And unfortunately, in this timeline of human history in our country, we've seen this fulfilled, not quite to that extent, but pretty close to it. And there are people that really want to have it be that way. Nonetheless, Jesus Christ is on the throne and greater than that. But there's always that danger that just one generation away of not knowing the good things that the Lord has done. And that's why it's so important, and we'll get, a, we'll get this further on, particularly in chapter 6. It'll be a major point of a study. But when you beget children and grandchildren, verse 25, we can never forget that our responsibility, it was already said back there in verse 9, that our primary responsibility is to raise up the next generation to know the Lord as parents. And then as grand, grandparents right now, with us having five grandkids right now, just always wanted to bring Christ into the equation, always talking about the Lord. And as a grandparent, you just think in that way, like you want to, you want to, imp- grandchildren are such a blessing because like by the time your kids are adults, you realize you train wrecked it, even if you did a good job. You know, like you're just like, wow. You know, like I, I always tell Luke, I'm sorry. And he's like, for what? You did a great job. I'm like, I don't know, man. I'm glad you remember it better than, than the way I remember it. But grandchildren are that second chance. And it's so cool to be with the grandkids and with, with their cognitive skills, especially like Zippy at four. She's really, you know, her comprehension so much more now. But Clem is so sharp at two. And just to bring the Lord into every conversation, Clem's like looking at this green spider. I've never seen an all-green spider. Figured you'd see him in Florida. And, and this all-green spider, and she was fascinated, just looking. I was like, wow, I was like, God made that. That green spider, like, lives in Florida. This is its... It's yard. Now it's your yard. But it's just doing what a green spider does. And then later on, because Zip uh, Clementine just loves insects and stuff. And, and later on, like, you know, there's lizards everywhere. Like, oh, Clem, think it's a lizard. And he's like, we're running around the trees. It's running around the trees. It's like a gecko. It's kind of cool. And, but just all that nature, all that God made, this is what the Lord has done. And God made this green spider. And this green spider does what a green spider is supposed to do. And that gecko, and look at that rabbit right there in our yard. What's that? There's a rabbit in the yard. There's no coyotes here, right? The rabbit, you know, just so, like, just the animal kingdom and the flowers and all. Smell the flowers like it's the Lord. 
You know, Jesus said, if you have faith like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom. And there's such an age of innocence because when you're dealing with grandchildren, they only know the tree of life. They don't know the tree of knowledge of good and evil yet. They will. We all do sooner or later. But just, it's always teaching moments. This verse is a verse for grandparents, isn't it? When you get old, don't get lazy and don't kick it. Make sure that you're not shutting it down, but you're cranking it up. That's what it says. It says, when you get older, don't lose your faith. When you get older, find another gear with your faith. That's what I see. And of course, it's very applicable to me. Because when you're 60, you're thinking about what you can do that's pretty pleasant when you're 65. But you really need to be thinking about is how to keep bringing the Lord into the equation and how to keep going forward when you beget children and grandchildren growing old in the land and act corruptly. So the opposite of that would be when you beget children and grandchildren have grown old and act righteously. That's how we need to act and to pass that on. And you don't have to have grandchildren do that because that's what we want to do for the next generation. Also, it says in verse 29, when there's failure, and there would be failure, and he says, you will find the Lord if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Isn't that wonderful? This is true because this happened during the captivity where the people that did cry to the Lord found the Lord. Jesus is always right there a split second from confession, faith, and repentance. The Lord's always right there. Isn't that beautiful? Like some old religions, to get things right, you got to do like climb mountains and go backwards and say strange things a thousand times. For the child of God, when there's been failure and we find ourselves taken captive away in our own personal prisons, if, he says, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Isn't that good to know? We already read where it says that we can, uh, we can call out to him at any time. So, yeah. You will find him if you seek him with all your heart, with all your soul. You know, we love that passage, Jeremiah 29, 11. My thoughts are your good thoughts, thoughts of a future and hope. As that passage reads on, it says something very similar to this, that when he'll be found, he says, you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart, with all your soul, and you obey me. So that's always it. So when we look at people and maybe that used to walk with the Lord, don't walk with the Lord, or have never walked with the Lord, we can realize that there's, it's, just, it's just that one prayer away, just that, that prayer of repentance, that, that confession, that repentance, and that faith. My sister is so amazing to be with my sister in Florida at her house on Sunday. And to just think when she's in this beautiful house God gave her, and she's got a bamboo palm as tall as the ceiling in her yard. It's gorgeous. Her yard is so tropical. There's like a jungle behind her. There's an empty lot between houses. and It's, so, it's, it's the cutest house ever. And all I could think of, it just made me want to cry all day, spending the day with my sister, was five years ago trying to find her behind the dumpster at the dollar store in Vista when she was living on the streets. You will find me when you seek me with all your heart and all your soul. And once that happens and there's a repentance and a turnaround, then great things can happen because God is a blessing God. And his thoughts are not thoughts of evil, but good thoughts, thoughts to give us a future and a hope. And Jesus didn't die on the cross and rise from the grave to leave his children behind dumpsters. 
$1 stores in Vista. That's what we choose. But when we come to ourselves, when we're taken away captive because of our sins and our idolatries, we can be restored. And it's always an upgrade with the Lord. Always in character, in peace, in everything. The Lord is good. I just wanted to cry all day Sunday when I was with my sister. Because last time I was in Florida helping her find that house and get that house, you know, it's like, this is what I'm called to do. This is, my, this is what mom entrusted to me to do. And we looked at houses. We knew the market. We, we spent four days. We put in the offer. It was everything. is perfect. But it's an objective, you know, like we need to do this. And, you know, when a house is in escrow, it can fall out of escrow and all these things. So to be back there two months later and see my sister in that house with the furniture from my mom's house that she inherited, with her dog, Romeo, the boxer, and to know she's plugged in at a, a wonderful church and that she's got a good job and that it is all, all the good things have come to pass and she let the Lord do it. Man. My mom never gave up on her. I did. That's the lesson I learned from my sister. Never, ever give up on anybody. Ever. Pastor Chuck never gave up on Mike McIntosh and those guys. We give up on people. I gave up on my sister. My mom never did. It was so cool to see how blessed she was. And all she kept talking about was the Lord, too. She's talking about the Lord, talking about the Lord, talking about the Lord. I'm thinking like, man, that's a, that's a 30-foot bamboo palm, man. That's gorgeous. I'm like, it's kind of like, I figure when you get older, you become more of a gardener because Adam was a gardener, right? You know, like this old people do, they get in the gardens. But that's what Adam was, a gardener. So I'm like, I'm just getting ready for eternity, becoming a gardener. And I really like Florida because you can't kill anything in Florida. Everything grows. You can kill anything in California because there's no rain. I've tried to grow plumerias for 20 years. The, the new house that Luke's in has got plumerias taller than anything it could ever accomplish in, in 20 years in California. Like, why are they blooming and mine don't? You know? But it's like, I'm talking about, look at this. And Barbie's like, and the Lord this and the Lord that, my coworkers. I'm like, yeah. If you will find him, if you seek him with your, all your heart, with all your soul. And my sister did, and I need to, and we need to. When we get in those ruts, we got to just seek the Lord, and we'll pull out of those ruts. Verse 32, we read on. Again, Moses is giving these exhortations that are such you know, he's, he's, he's like, he's coming right now. He's, if this is baseball, he's throwing fastballs. He's not messing around. Verse 32. For ask now concerning the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth. And ask from one end of heaven to the other whether any great thing like this has happened or anything like has been heard. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you've heard and lived? Or did God ever try and go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, by war, and by a mighty hand and outstretched arm, and by great terrors, according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God. There is none other besides him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice that he might instruct you. On earth he showed you his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose 
their descendants after them. And he brought you out of Egypt with his presence and with his mighty power, driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you their land as an inheritance as it is to this day. Therefore know this day and consider in your heart that the Lord himself is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There is no other You shall therefore keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord your God has given you for all time. Wow. Check verse 32. Ask now... What an interesting phrase Moses uses here. I love Deuteronomy. I just These, these are such unique things in Deuteronomy. That's why I just love this book. Moses says, ask now. It's almost like when God's talking to Job at the end of the book. Ask now. So he says, ask now. Concerning the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created man on earth. Ask. Ask out loud. When you think of the past, what God did for you, how he made you a nation, how he brought you as a nation out of a nation, and did all this stuff for you, from the dawn of creation with Adam and Eve, ask now, has God ever done anything like this before? But he did it for you. It's like Jesus on the cross. Ask now, has any world religion ever presented a savior like Jesus? Has anyone ever claimed to be sinless and said that the resurrection and the life Has anyone ever said, take my life? No one takes my life, but I lay it down. I have power to raise it back up. Has anyone forgiven people when they're crucified on a cross, capital punishment for sins of other people, humanity, and forgiven those who are mocking him that very moment? Ask now. Ask now, have you ever seen an empty tomb other than the one in Jerusalem when you do your tour of Israel? I've been to Lennon's tomb. He's there, and they're guarding it at Red Square. Jesus' tomb doesn't need any guarding. It's empty. Ask now. This is our Savior, Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for our sins. Only he could save us. Ask now, could Buddha save us? Could Moses save us? Could Muhammad save us? Ask now. Has there ever been a woman or a man who was sinless and who fulfilled this law of God perfectly and laid down his life for his enemies. Ask now, has that ever happened? Because this is the asking of questions for their covenant in their beginning. And now we ask these questions as a church. Ask now, has there ever been a man who said, take this bread and cup and do this in remembrance of me for what I've done for you according to grace? Ask now, do the Hindus do that? In Corinthians, Paul said, what fellowship is Christ, the table of Christ, with the table of demons? Ask now, who is like the Lord our God? Jesus said, I am. I am that I am. He's the son of God. Ask now, has there ever been anyone born of a virgin? Ask now. Has there anyone risen from the grave and eaten fish and bread with his followers in his resurrected body? Ask now. You see, the past is the strength of today and the promise for tomorrow. What God is saying through Moses right here in this covenant, we say this way tonight in the new and everlasting covenant. Because Moses takes him back to the dawn of creation. Ask now when Adam failed, has there ever been a second Adam to replace the first Adam? Where Adam failed with the three temptations, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Ask now, has anyone ever come and fulfilled that standing toe-to-toe with the devil for 40 days in the wilderness like Jesus did? Ask now. No, it's Jesus. 
Whereas Peter said to Jesus, you, where are we going to go? You have the words of life. Ask now. See, their past is their exhortation for obedience today. Because he says in verse 39, excuse me, verse 40, I command you today. You shall therefore keep his statutes and his commandments, so I command you today that it may go well with you. See, ask now concerning the days that are past all that God has done, proven his presence and his mighty power, verse 37, and he drove out people before you, he's made a way for you, he's given inheritance to you, all these good things, consider it in your heart, and because of this past now, ask now concerning the days that are past, and now I command you today that you make the right decisions today because of what he's done for you in the past, that it may go well with you and with your future, that it'll go well with you and with your children after you. You see, our Exhortation to obedience comes from really what God's done for us in the past. And reflecting on like how good the Lord's been, that God is good. And then we make those good choices today. And really, he's saying, for those dis- these, today's decisions affect tomorrow's actions when we're gone from this planet. Did you catch that? It's the past, it's the present, and it's the future. Because look, today that it may go well with you and with your children after you. See, the obedience that we take today brings blessings upon the next generation tomorrow. And not just our children in the body of Christ. I've been talking about this, that as ministry, as a pastor, leading the flock toward the presence of Christ, I must and I need to have an eye to the future for the next generation in equipping them. And I appreciate those ministries that are thinking that way. I'm not trying to make millennials act like baby boomers in the body of Christ. I'm trying to equip millennials to serve Jesus and know Jesus personally in their journey. Because there'll be a day when there's no more baby boomers on the planet and millennials are the church at my age. So Jack, there's a day when you're 60, if you live long enough. And may you live a good, fruitful life to get to that day. And others. So we say, ask now. Has not the Lord been totally faithful through the gospel in our life? And is it not an exhortation to be obedient today? And is it not a blessing to the next generation of our personal family and the church family for tomorrow when we make good decisions today? And that is the motivation to obey and do the right thing. Because it's never just about you and me. The Lord's taught me that. It's never just about me. I might think my sins only affect me. They don't. They affect everybody. They affect you. They affect my wife. They affect my children and my grandchildren. And I'm very much aware of that. And you should be too in your life. And we don't shrink back from the, the spiritual principles of leadership and how it affects those under us or with us. But we need to understand it works that way. And it's all the more evident to me at the age of 60 than ever before. Now we wrap it up tonight. Verse 41 reads this. Then Moses set apart three cities on this side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun that the manslayer may flee there who kills his neighbor unintentionally, manslaughter, without having hated him in the time past, and that by fleeing to one of these cities he might live. Bezer in the wilderness of the plateau for the Reubenites, Ramoth and Gilead for the 
Gadites, and Golan and Bashan for the Manassites. Of course, we studied this in great detail previously in Leviticus, these cities of refuge, so very important and very symbolic of Jesus Christ being our refuge as well. Verse 44, this is now the real full setup for where we go starting next week in chapter 5. Now, this is the law which Moses set before the children of Israel. These are the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which Moses spoke to the children of Israel after they came out of Egypt on this side of the Jordan, in the valley opposite Beth Peor, in the land of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon, whom Moses and the children of Israel defeated after they came out of Egypt. And they took possession of his land and the land of Og, king of Bashan, two kings of the Amorites, who were on this side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun, from Arar, which is the bank of the river Arnon, even to Mount Sion, that is Hermon, and all the plain on the east side of the Jordan, as far as the Sea of Arba, below the slopes of Pisgah. This is the introduction to God's law. So now this opening statement of obedience and doing right is laid out. The reminder of the cities of refuge on the east side of the Jordan. And now as we get to chapter 5 next week, he's going to say, come here, the statutes and the judgments. He's going to write back to the Ten Commandments a generation later. So excited to get to that next week. And again, this is that basic opening statement having covered the, the wandering, now it's like, hey, obey. Just obey. As we go through like 30 chapters, just remember, obeying is a good thing. So if you lose your way on the journey for the next five months, just walk in there going, well, I remember this, obey. And now it'll go well, right? Amen.